Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the What's Up Jay podcast. This is your host, Jay, and thank you all so much for tuning in today. My guest for today's episode is someone who I look up to and admire for a multitude of reasons. This man is the reason why I wanted to pursue a career in journalism, the reason why I wanted to tell stories, whether they be my own stories or those of other people, and he's one of the reasons why I do this podcast right here. That man is none other than Dave Blow. Now, Dave has been a journalist for 30 years, working for the Post Star in Glens Falls, New York, for a majority of his career. He also later on became a journalism professor at Caslin University in Vermont, where I met him. On today's episode, Dave and I talk about his journalism career. He tells us how he got into journalism and gives us a look into some of the stories and columns that he has written over the years. We talk a bit about his favorite baseball team, the Boston Red Sox, and their magical 2004 World Series run. And Dave gives us a little bit of a sneak peek into his new book, COVID Chronicles, College Students Navigate Pandemic Life. Now, if you find yourself interested in getting yourself a copy, and why wouldn't you be? Look down in the episode description to learn more about how to get your hands on one, or continue listening, of course, where Dave will give you that information himself. But without further delay, let's see what's up with Dave. Dave, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule here to sit down with me on your wonderful back little screened in patio area to uh, join me on the What's Up Jay podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. This is uh, this is neat. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Great. I'm, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, this is my first uh, local celebrity I've had on the uh, show. You know, I got to aim high. <laughs> got to aim, aim, <laughs> aim for the stars here. I did have Austin, you know, a local journalist on the last episode. But you, I, fi- I you know, feel he would agree with me in saying you have more of a presence, you know, a track record of sorts probably comes with years i guess but uh, thank you for saying that i don't feel like much of a celebrity but uh, i figured you you would say something like that um but first of all how's life how's the family you know uh you can we can even go back into how last year was for the family and stuff you know 2020 with the pandemic but you know briefly just go over uh how you've you know been and how everyone else has been yeah i mean obviously it was a crazy year i mean covid teaching was was insane um family life was insane you know both kids had to be ripped from europe at one point to to get them home and stuff a lot of stress but you know there was a lot of people that had it a lot worse and you know we're all back home now kirstie's home from spain sarah's down from uvm so we are one uh, crazy family of four again uh, doing neat stuff together heading to the beach in, in a handful of days and went to a red sox game recently so i'm enjoying time with them it's a you know, one's 24, one's 21, and uh, your kid time is pretty fleeting at this point in life, I think. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I'm trying to soak it up. Not always is it rosy. They they irk me at times, of course. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm real thankful that they're around. Yeah, I remember um, sitting in one of your, uh, you know, classes at Castleton, and you had mentioned how, you know, it was like you were an empty nest again or, you know, for the first time. And now you're just bringing it back in, having them living both at home again. It's you know, I throw back to the, you know, foursome that you uh, were just describing. How's that? How's that difference? Like, how is it like once they leave and now they're back, like you said, at 21? And um, 
how old was Kirsten? 24. Again? 20, so, yeah, 24, they both just yeah. turned 21, 24. So, yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting. I mean, we, we were, uh, I mean, I didn't really fear it, but it was, you know, I kind of wondered what it was going to be like. And we actually settled into empty nest uh, life quite quite well. Uh, we have our own routines and stuff. And then they come back and all of a sudden it's very different, you mm -hmm. know. But, uh, you know, it's a good different too. It's just a little more chaos. I mean, uh, everyone in my family is pretty high octane. So, uh, there's, there's, you know, a lot of laughter, a lot of craziness, but, uh, like I said, I really wouldn't trade it. I, I consider it bonus time. I've always really cherished being a dad. I, I consider it, you know, my biggest accomplishment, honestly, those two kids. So, um, yeah, to, and one of them plays music and sings and, uh, the other one's doing, you know, neat stuff with interviewing. She's actually setting up to do an interview right now with the, you know, through, through UVM. So, uh, so yeah, no, it's it's neat. I'm I'm like really enjoying being a dad. Always have. So I'm gonna ask you in a second about um, you know your two daughters and what they're up to now and and stuff like that. But first, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself for anyone who listened last week. I gave uh, a brief kind of synopsis of who you are and who you are in relation to Austin and myself. But you know, for anyone who you know didn't listen, who is Dave Blow? Okay, well, I'll try to give a condensed version. But yeah, I mean, I grew up in a rural town in Vermont, Chittenden, Vermont. Went to Proctor High School. Went to Castleton State College at the time. Um, was a journalist for 15 years at the Post Star. Well, actually, I started at the Granville Sentinel. You know that um, uh, for like five months, and ended up getting hired by the Post Star. Worked there for 15 years, uh, and then. You know, went back to school and got my master's and the job at Castleton, the professor job opened up. Uh, and I really trying to follow in the footsteps of my mentor, a guy named Terry Dalton, who was just an amazing professor, did what I, you know, I'm doing what he did. He was a journalist for a while, professor for a while. And I've always still written, you know, ski columns and just I just finished a column today about my dad, you know. Um, so I, I'd still love that ability, that forum to be able to, to tell stories, uh, other people's stories, my own stories. Um, and I wrote about that a little bit today, just about why I do it. And, you know, I, I kind of wrote that for me, it's, it's probably my therapy. A lot of people, uh, pay good money for, to go tell people all their the stuff in their life that's going on. I kind of just put it out in print and let people react to it. And, uh, um, you know, often I get good results sometimes not so much, but, uh, it's it's a blast, and I've I've really enjoyed both careers. I mean, I've had a blast. I, I feel for those folks who dread going to work every day because I haven't. Uh, not every day is perfect, but uh, most are pretty damn good. Well, I definitely um, will say you are a role model in that sense uh, for me, and I'm sure a lot of the other uh, you know students that I went into your classes with, you know, because you brought that energy, you brought that you know like that what's the word positive vibe to every class even if a day wasn't going so great you always seem to love what you do and you can definitely see it through your work and through your you know teaching as well and we'll get into that well, i appreciate that um in a little bit here but first let's talk about um you know your two daughters as you were just uh, talking about the younger daughter sarah that you said um she's getting ready to you know do an interview right now um i know that she has her own show called vt peeps mm -hmm. i know she was um doing an internship with uh the center for research on vermont um, where she was doing like a similar thing with the show before them. Um, and obviously Kirsty, who recently got back from teaching English in Spain, right? Right, right. And she does, you know, the music and, you know, performing and stuff like that. Um, you and Kirsty, I believe, traveled, what was it, two summers ago? Yeah. When she was doing like the, uh, you know, tour through like yep. the south of the States. Um, 
you know, take me through that, you know, that experience of traveling with your oldest daughter while she's performing and you get to see it all firsthand. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote a little bit about that and I've, I've got a book like, I don't know, half three quarters of the way through, but, uh, you know, just, yeah, it, it, it was amazing. It made me want to do it again. It made me realize how vast this country is. It made me realize how really cool people are. Most people, I always have had that thought anyway, that most people are good. If you, if you treat people well, you get it back. And I try to live that way. Um, the music, you know, getting to see her play all across the country was amazing. Um, it was just something that, you know, initially I don't think she even wanted me to go because uh, I offered and she, it wasn't an immediate, yeah, that sounds great, Dad. It was more <laughs> like a couple of weeks later. She's like, yeah, you know, maybe that would be good. I think probably to pay for stuff as much as camaraderie. But I think literally, I, you know, I joke that, uh, you know, I think there was like 15, 20 minutes that we fought out of 22 days in a car and stuff. Uh, she jokes that, no, it was probably at least a half an hour. So, you know, but, but that's still pretty good yeah. with your, you know, 22 year old daughter and, you know, 52 year old guy, uh, dad, you know, tagging along. So I was, I was, blown away by it and there were so many great people that we met that's what a lot of the stories are about you know the chapters and i will finish that at some point uh, it's just like a book fatigue right now with the covid chronicles that just came out so um but yeah amazing trip uh if, if you have a good relationship with your kid uh um i would urge anybody to do that because yeah like i say i want to do it again where was um, if you had to pick one spot along that? Uh, you said twenty twenty two days. Twenty two days. Yeah. Where was your, or what was like the highlight? Like what you know spot along that tour would you immediately go back to? I think uh, Clarksdale, Mississippi, and it was like an afterthought stop. We were going to go to Memphis after Nashville, and we had been to Memphis before on a, on a trip we did before. But uh, um, somebody told friend told us to go to Clarksdale, Mississippi, home of the blues. You know. Where Robert Johnson apparently made the deal with the devil, and you know it's just this sleepy cotton town with these, you know, a lot of these little uh, the old juke joints are are kind of run down and stuff. But anybody that goes there goes for music, so every, everybody's into music. And what we saw there at a couple different places was just really really good. And we were leaving the place one night. And I tipped the guy because I always tip musicians because she's a musician. So I get into that habit. And he was all, you know, all about it and ended up having her play. He, he found out our story that we were on this kind of cruise across the country uh, uh, to California. And uh, he found out that she played and asked her if she wanted to go back in and play a couple songs. And I was surprised that she did it because, like I say, it's a little hole in the wall place and everybody there could play. Um, and she did a couple of her original songs. They wouldn't let, they don't let you video in it. Otherwise I would have, but, uh, I've got it in my head and I did video a couple seconds of it. Uh, <laughs> so I do have a little bit, and there was some guy from England took a cool picture of her from the other side of the room. It was amazing. Uh, just so rewarding and so organic. And, but I mean, there were such great stops all over the place, but, uh, you know, Dallas and Breckenridge and Amarillo, Texas, she played kind of like a biker bar there and kind of wowed them. It was, yeah, it's just such a, a range of places and she booked it all herself. I didn't do any of it. I, I was along for the ride to help out. So I was going to say, you kind of played the managerial role, but you didn't, you were just there. You know, co-piloting, or were you, or were you actually driving? For I the drove trip, most huh? of the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. awesome. No, um, it, was, it was epic. It was something I'll never forget. So cool. And oh. I'm planning something with my other daughter when she graduates too. But she's not a road tripper, so I'm sure she's <laughs> going to hit me up for a trip to like Jamaica or something. <laughs> cool. 
Jamaica. Well, I I look forward to reading the uh, three quarter finished once yeah. it is complete. You know of those stories because as a musician myself, as a younger brother of you know a musician who is in a band, kind of doing local shows now. It, it's it's always been a dream of mine to be able to go on even like a three show tour like down the East Coast. So like being able to read about that experience from the non-performer's perspective would be incredibly interesting. Um, Now to kind of pivot back to Sarah, um, obviously she seems to be going in a similar route to you, obviously interviewing people through, you know, uh, the audio format as opposed to the old school pen and paper. Mm -hmm. Um, How does it make you feel as a seasoned vet in the journalism business yourself to see your daughter doing similar things to you? really cool and and i didn't push either kid in any direction i mean uh um you know to me as a journalist it's a calling you you either like talking to people you like writing and stuff or or you don't uh and if you don't you shouldn't do it uh and she just kind of fell into it she's got a really good mentor at uvm richard watts really really good guy and i kind of collaborate with him a little bit with journalistic stuff um but again never pushed and uh all of a sudden she started doing these things and I was watching them and her instincts are good. That's what I'm most proud of. Uh, a good interviewer, when you're talking to somebody, if they take you somewhere else, they, they pull something that you weren't aware of. If you're smart enough to run with that and ask follow up questions about it, uh, you know, that that's cool. And I've seen her do it a few different times. One, uh, there was a PR guy from. Uh, Burlington that she was interviewing, well-known guy up there, uh, who was a former reporter and talked about uh, Joe Biden, uh, how he covered him when he was uh, in the Senate. And uh, uh, she was was smart enough. Obviously, he's the president now. So you run with that. You know, she she asked some questions about him, what he was like and stuff. So things like that make me believe that she'd be pretty good at She's super pretty. The camera loves her as well, much more than I'm, I'm certainly in the right format for print. Um, but yeah, people like talking to her and, you know, I've always felt that they like talking to me too. I think some to some of the best interviews are when people forget they're being interviewed. Uh, and all of a sudden you're just talking like buddies kind of, um, and you can get good stuff. And I see that with her. She's gotten a lot of good feedback after she's been done. I love that she started her own VT peeps show, you know, something more right now. She's doing interviews about the economy of Vermont and stuff like that. It's really not her forte, but it's going to be great for her, you know, resume wise. But, uh, I like that she took the initiative to, to start her own thing. And I hope she continues with that, you know, this year. Yeah. And it's always great to throw yourself kind of, uh, you know, like, like a change up of sorts, you know, being able to kind of pivot into a realm that you're not always used to. Definitely. And being able to still. Diverse. Yeah, diversity yeah. is huge, you know, have have uh, di- different things to show people. Yeah, exactly. Creating that content um, is important. Um, and speaking of content, let's pivot into your journalism career. Um, first, because I don't even know if I know this story or if you've ever told it. Um, how did you initially get introduced to, uh, you know, journalism reporting? Was there something that happened to you where you instantly knew, like, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to pursue at all costs, or did, was it was it kind of something that you accidentally fell into and fell in love with? Uh, probably a mix, really. I mean, I knew I was, I always liked to write, even as a kid, creative writing and stuff in grade school. I always liked that. Words always came very easy to me, and I love talking to people. Um, and Terry Dalton, you know, I like I say, I'm emulating his career. He did for me what I try to do for you guys, you know, 
little bit of passion you know like a lot of people don't know they can write you know i can tell right off if somebody can write just what they send me you know and sometimes it's raw a little bit and then you just kind of you know, poke at them a little bit and show them how to shuffle things a little bit and pay you know pacing i always talk about pacing i love little short sentences and stuff um so you know he did that for me and you know he was notorious for like a red pen back then it was you were you were writing papers and uh so he literally would just mop it up with a red pen and you'd see more red than black at the end of the day. And some people freaked out and got really angry with him and stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I, I tried in those classes. I didn't always try the hardest in some of my other geology and stuff that I wasn't interested in. But I really tried to to impress him. And, and I think he saw something in me and tried to foster it. And then I did an internship, you know, writing for the Rutland Herald and stuff like that. So, um, you know, and seeing your byline, you know, that was cool. You know, then, then, then I think that's why a lot of writers, Jason, I was kind of in my column today for the post are kind of wondering why I do what I do. But there's still that gratification, seeing your byline and seeing the reaction that people have to what you write. And that started early and uh, I still get it today. I still get it just as much now as I did when I first started. It's still that much fun for me to string words together and try to have an impact on somebody. Is it different at all? Like you had just said, getting that similar reactions to your work now as opposed to when you were first starting out for maybe a story or maybe, you know, one of uh, the many, uh, you know, news, uh, what's the word, columns that you've written. Um, is getting like those reactions like you know like a personal email or something or even just like in uh you know the comments section on the website is it any is it any you know different now because or is it just um like you still get that same feeling from seeing that type of stuff you probably i mean it's probably better now because honestly when i started there wasn't facebook and stuff so we weren't social media we weren't pumping our stuff out i mean you would get letters to the editor or maybe a call or something or somebody an attaboy you know i liked your story um now it's almost instantaneous you know you're getting comments right off and you can tell how it's trending if people are are liking it but like the stuff i've written about my dad my dad was in a bad car accident recently he just got home yesterday after weeks in the hospital and rehab so and that one i wrote on father's day about a promise to get him home um i got tons of stuff people were sending cards to the post star for him uh emails i got an email from one of his former he used to be a northern homes builder and one of the guys wrote that he, you know talked about his work ethic and how much he liked the guy he said although he was a little bit stubborn i got uh um from a, a woman who said her dad is in the throes of alzheimer's right now and uh but he was a rugged guy like my dad and just withered away but she wrote a, a great little one-liner she goes he hasn't forgot he smokes though and i love that <laughs> you know my dad smokes too so uh you know getting stuff like that it does make you feel like you're making a difference in people's lives and uh um and i try to do that with students too it's the same bond it's uh you know trying to send them off with some bit of you you know at the end of the day what do you what do you have i got a lot of bylines and hopefully some students who who thought i i tried a little bit for them you know i, I like that feeling of of you know i'm not a morbid guy i don't think about death all the time and stuff but i like that feeling of having touched folks um and i hope i have you know that's that's something that i really try to do well i could definitely say that you have definitely touched me in a way because although I'm not, you know, currently writing for the weekly paper or, you know, a daily paper anymore, still doing the freelance journalism, like I do this stuff 
you know, because of the stuff that you instilled in us during all those classes. And I just want to take a second to, you know, thank you for that. Um, I appreciate that. It means a lot. And I think a lot of students, I've had students kind of afraid to tell me that maybe they're doing something else. And, And I don't ever want them to be afraid of that. You know, I, like I said to you that I want you guys to, to be happy in life uh do well and, and that doesn't necessarily mean money i never made a pile of money in my life but uh but you know prosper be happy and like i say take a little chunk of me with you on the ride you know uh, you know have me on your shoulder barking at you to double check something or whatever you know i think that's cool so but, but yeah no, i completely agree it's awesome um so to kind of you know pick up on what you just said about how you love you love kind of leaving that piece of you now with your students um, how did you end up becoming a professor at, you know, Castleton U- U- Uni- University? Um, I know that you said you kind of fell into it, but what was, you know, the timing? I know you said you were the assistant city manager at the time. Assistant or, city editor. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, that started around, I think it was 2002 or something. I wanted to be an editor. I actually applied to be the feature editor and the managing editor thought I wasn't a fit apparently. So, uh, um, Gave, but he threw me a bone, he threw me the assistant city editor job, and I relished it. It was it was actually really cool, and it was you know it was a trajectory thing. I'd been a reporter for twelve, thirteen years at that point, um, and I liked it, but I didn't love it. Um, I, you know, reading other people's stories, yeah, you know, I'm always finding things. God, I would have done this, but you got to be careful with that because you don't want to you know, beat up on a reporter, you got to work with them. So you're trying to coach. And, and I thought I was pretty good at that, but th- there wasn't going to be an opportunity for me to, to jump here at the, at the post star, the, the city editor above me was, was hanging around. The managing editor was hanging around. And honestly, I don't know if I wanted either of those jobs anyway. I really loved being out in the field and reporting and writing better than editing. Um, so I started thinking about my former professor and uh, I ended up, going back to grad school. It took me like four years to get a two-year master's degree because I had a baby, a three-year-old, full-time job. Um, so it was, it was a fair amount. But, I mean, the timing actually was perfect. I graduated four years, and then the position at Castleton opened up. So if you believe in fate, and I kind of do sometimes, I think, uh, uh, it opened up. My old professor that was still not the mentor, Terry Dalton, but Bob Gershon, who was the video guy who I equally respected, yeah, I, I was I was uh, I, I taught a little bit, too. I taught a couple classes as an adjunct ethics and I think an editing class. Um, so I had got my feet wet and I liked it. So I was glad he gave me the opportunity to do that. And like I say, it opened up and they hired me and I've been there since 2005. And um, yeah, it's been a good run. What was the transition like for you to kind of make that transition from doing the full time job, you know, reporting and editing into becoming a professor? Like you said, you finished the two year degree in four years. What was, uh, you know, the balancing act like? You mean while I was still uh, at the post star or yeah, starting yeah, yeah. to teach? Um, it was hectic. I mean, it was crazy. If you, you know, you'll know someday when you have kids, probably, but a, a baby and a three year old plus a full time job plus maintaining a house plus blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, it's a lot. You don't remember much back then. You know, it was just kind of chaotic, but it was a means to an end. Um, 
And, you know, I had my eye on the prize. And, uh, and, and then to get offered a job that paid less than what I was making as, a, as an editor, which wasn't a lot, that was a big dilemma too. But I, I didn't want to kick myself and not do it, you know. I never want to look back and say, wow, I wish I, wish I had done that. So, and it was a good call. I mean, my kids got free tuition at UVM. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I think I've had an impact on a lot of people. I've enjoyed the classroom. It's weird. I never, nobody, none of my friends ever would have said, oh, I bet he's going to be a professor. That, that wasn't in the, uh, you know, nobody thought that. Uh, I, I don't think I give off the typical professor vibe probably. And I guess I'm okay with that. You know, I kind of consider myself a kind of a skills provider, a mentor, a dad when dad isn't around. I mean, I, I, I know I play that role for some of these kids. Um, and I don't mind that, you know, I've got two uh, like aged kids. So if, if they're struggling with something and they come to me, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, though, because nobody teaches you how to deal with that stuff. I mean, I never had any training to talk to kids about abortion or drugs or mental health or whatever. But I just try to approach it like a dad and um, do my best, you know, but there's, you, you know, being approachable like that has, has some challenges at times. So you've been doing this, you know, journalism, you know, whether it was in the field reporting, whether it was in the classroom or behind your desk, you know, being that mentor of sorts um, at CU. And I'm sure you can think of a ton of examples for this next question. Um, if you could give me the most or one of the most rewarding experiences that you've had um, while reporting or while editing. Um, and then on the flip side of that, the most rewarding thing from your time as a professor. I think it's it's kind of odd, and maybe it's because it's more fresh in my mind, but I did an immigration series a few years back um, for the Star during the summer when I was on break, and I felt immense pressure to do that well because, I mean, we were talking about these um, undocumented immigrants who were wives of dairy farmhands. You know, there's a lot of undocumented immigrants around doing work that, in my opinion, a lot of people don't want to do. Um and these Spanish teachers from around the area would actually have them over to their house. One of them had a swimming pool and the kids would be swimming and stuff and local volunteers, high school kids would be lifeguarding and watching them and giving them treats and stuff. And then on the other side, you'd had all these women who didn't speak much English. They were being taught English by these local Spanish teachers, volunteers, just doing good. Um, but these folks were afraid, afraid. This was when ice was cracking down. And so they were a little leery talking to me initially. But it ended up being, a, I think it was a three or four part series um, that ended up winning an award, which I don't write to win awards. It's nice when they do, but I didn't do it for an award. But I felt so much pressure that I put on myself to do that story well. Um, I felt I owed it to them. I had a, a lot of respect for these women. You know, some people have that opinion of undocumented. Well, come in the right way. They've got all their opinion. And, and I get that, you know, I don't, I don't want our country to be flooded with, you know, bad people. But these weren't bad people. These were people that just wanted to, a better life for their kids. Um, and their stories were powerful and they work a lot they're hard-working people and stuff so i don't know that that one sticks out maybe in part because other people read it and and felt it was powerful and good and stuff um you know and some of the columns i've written over the years you know just have been soul purgings really you know uh, a friend dying of cancer who i had to go to a last birthday party you know that was in in my book um 
things like that. A story I wrote about my daughter's softball glove, I thought was one of my favorite columns I've ever written because I, I, I gave it life. I personified the glove, like what it was feeling because it was my old high school glove that she wore throughout high school. Despite me buying her a new glove, she wore that one. And there's a lot of power in that on a lot of levels. Um, so those are a couple of things, I guess, for that. What was the second part of that? Uh, uh, the teaching? Second, yeah, yeah. Rewarding? Um, well, you know, I got... I was named faculty of the year or whatever. We've won awards for this newspaper and stuff like that. Um, but I, I mean, I honestly think, I don't know if there's one thing to me, it's them being, keeping me in their lives after they leave. I think there's a lot of power in that. And recently, here's a good example. And I wrote about this too. Um, a former student who I, I heard just got a head coaching job at Elmira, Casey McGraw. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you knew him or not, but uh, um, he invited me uh, a couple months ago to go golfing with him and two of his buddies from Castleton. So here's this old professor guy, 50-something years old, getting asked to go golf with this guy and his two two buddies. And, you know, who's the odd man out there? Well, I am, obviously. <laughs> but, but, damn, that felt good, you know? Um and yeah, it's that when I see them having kids and stuff and they're sending me photos of their kids and uh, yeah. And, and when they do something good, I always I try to remember to wish happy birthdays to them and stuff. And I hope that means something. I, I think it does. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if there was one specific thing uh, about, you know, the, the, the rewarding nature. When I when I did my book, Blow by Blow, I did have Terry Dalton, my old mentor, show up for it. And he was deep in the throes of Alzheimer's at this point. Um, and I had everybody give him a standing O. And that was pretty cool. Because to me, and he was still lucid enough to realize that he was the star of the show that night. And uh, to me, that was really, really powerful. And I, I, I know it was for him, too. I got to see him a couple other times after that. We took him to a Nationals game and stuff, but he was failing pretty bad. And it's sad to see somebody so brilliant and so talented to just fade off like that, uh, almost childlike toward the end. And uh, but but yeah, that that's a powerful one, I would say. You mentioned uh, some of, uh, you know, the news stories and other things that you've written in, you know, your many years of doing the journalism thing, but I know that still today you're working on a freelance basis mm -hmm. uh, for the local newspaper, the Post Star. Could you, uh, you know, tell the people, because you don't have like, you know, a you know, beat to write on anymore. Right. What are, you know, the types of things that um, you get assigned or the things that you en enjoy writing now um, on your freelance basis? They encourage me to write the, the column stuff a lot, you know, and, and blogs. And they, they like, I think, uh, I've heard people say that when I write, it feels like I'm talking to them. And I like that. That's a great compliment. So I try to do some of that stuff. But I also just go about, I'm curious. I'm always looking for weird things. Like what I'm thinking about writing right now is lumber building materials are insanely expensive right now because of the pandemic. But there's a lot of independent like little sawmills around here. And I bet they're killing it right now. I bet, you know, some rough cut two by fours and stuff they're selling a, a ton of. And I so so I'm thinking maybe I'll do something with that. So there's no real rhyme or reason. Um, I mean, I had a mole get caught in my skimmer of my pool one time, and I hate moles because they wrecked my lawn. But I took a picture of it up close and wrote a column about that. You know, <laughs> so I I don't think there's any like I say a real rhyme or reason. And I'm doing actually working on a story for the Rutland Herald right now too. Um, they have a new radio station over there. I think it's EXP. It's called. Um, 
and it's funky. It's uh, and one of my former students, Shutter, is is working there. Oh, really? Yeah. So so there's that connection, but they play this most eclectic mix of stuff. It could be Floyd one second, it could be um, you know the Dead, and then John Denver, and then some. I swear, when I was listening to it the other day, it was like a Jewish wedding song. It was like a, you know, uh, so it was all over the place. But one of my buddies in Vermont, who I've known forever, used to go to shows with all the time. Still do sometimes. Uh, but he always hated radio and I went to, went to his house and visited and he's listening to the radio I'm like what because he used to really whine about radio he right, hated yeah. it uh, and I'm like what's this he goes new station it's crazy it's eclectic it's awesome so that's that's the catalyst to that story my buddy you know is going to be the intro to that story and I know he's not alone other people are are jumping on the train too listening to this eclectic cool radio station that he made. so like I say I mean I I've told you guys I've told students uh, I can't turn it off. I see stories everywhere I look, every day, and sometimes I choose to bite them off. Uh, the the gypsy moss. I did one recently on gypsy moss because they're you know I went and played golf at Top of the World and it was they were everywhere. I was like, holy cow, I've never seen anything like this. So I wrote about it. You know, that's that's how they come. Well, sometimes, um, and I've known this from experience. Sometimes things just fall into your lap in terms of either a story or a news column or whatever, and yep. I. I did read the other day that um, you received a phone call from your quote unquote nephew. Oh God! Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to just get your quick reaction. I did read it. It was very, very funny and very, very good. Um, but what happened with that? Yeah, I know. Just, just some guy called up and uh, you know, I answered the phone. Nobody there. Usually, I hang up at that point. But sometimes he calls. They're slow. Cell phone calls. Sometimes there's a delay. So I said hello again. This guy says hello and i'm like who's this and he there was a pause and he goes your nephew and then i knew it was a scam and i swore at him and hung up uh, <laughs> but then i got intrigued i'm like who is this ass you know so i called back and recorded him and yeah i just i said he said it, it was the uh, medicare uh, enrollment center that's what he said it was and I was like, well, that seems odd that you would, somebody from the Medicare Enrollment Center would call me posing as my nephew. And he would just like, uh, this is the Medicare Enrollment Center. He just kept repeating that and asking if I was 65. I said, no, have a good day, that sort of thing. But yeah, it ticked me off. And uh, I got quite a few emails about that, including from one this morning. Uh, a woman I know, I've known her for years, local business owner, said her mom got scammed out of like a bunch of money. This guy called her like 32 times in two days. And the only way they caught it was he called her on Mother's Day and one of the other kids answered it. And, or no, she answered it and said, I told you, know, I told you not to call till Monday. So this guy was still trying to get more out of her. He had her going around buying gift cards and got her for a lot of money. Wow. And God, that makes me mad. I, I get really irked. Like I wrote in the column, it's like, you know, life is, is tough enough without people trying to rip you off at every turn. You know, it's, uh, that's one thing about technology in modern times that really, I'm sure people are always had scams and stuff, but it's a hell of a lot easier now for them to prey on people and really bugs me. Well, reading that one was very entertaining. I've read multiple columns of yours that I've shared to either Brendan or just other people um, that we both, you know, found it very interesting slash entertaining. Um, cool. But um, with your the you know first book that you ever published back in 2013, Blow by Blow, um, you um, it's a compilation of news stories and columns. Um, 
throughout your career up till you know 2013 um i was reading the over overview of the book on uh i believe it was barnes and noble's website and they described the book as a touching and thought-provoking um one and that it offers stories that um, share your personal experiences perceptions and your deepest feelings would you say that's an accurate description of the book itself? Yeah, no, I think so. I tried to make it, uh, I, I front loaded it with some of the real heartfelt columns. Like when I chopped off my dad's finger with a wood splitter and felt like a moron. Inept. <laughs> I wrote that on Father's Day too. Um, and then, like I said, trying, what do you get for a friend who's dying of cancer and his wife's throwing him a birthday party days before he died? You know, some, some of those were just like I, I always say soul purging but it really is i mean that's a, that's the best way i can describe it it's just kind of um getting it out there um but yeah a lot of stories too murders and celebrities brushes with robert redford and stuff like that um and i did sections on what it was transforming to being a professor too and some of the cool stuff that's come from that um i got an email not long ago from a woman who said uh Something about, you know, I consider it a gift every time I see one of your columns to, to be able to read. And I love hearing that. She, but she said, you should write a book. It would be a bestseller. And I was <laughs> like, well, I didn't say it. But I was like, well, I did. And it wasn't. But uh, <laughs> I did tell her where she could get it. She said she was going to get one. So hopefully she does. And yeah, I, 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 you know, it's been almost a decade since it. So there's an opportunity there, too. And honestly, I think I'm a better writer now than I was back when I was younger I think I you know the more you live I think the more perspective you get a lot of times um so people have you know said I should do another one and who knows maybe I will I've got I got so many projects that I want to do you know uh um you know obviously the trip with Kirstie and stuff but yeah there's and there's a screenplay I'm dying to do I did a story on on uh hometown pirates local guys from the back in the 50s 60s you know with a pirate radio station and it just it's just such a movie it totally is a movie uh i just gotta do it right find time all these creative ideas overflowing right yeah too many <laughs> um well obviously as you just alluded to um you know 2013 was almost you know 10 years ago now um and you've obviously written a lot more stuff since then mm -hmm. um if you were either going to you know write you know, like a part two of that book with like a new, uh, you know, batch of stories and columns, or if you were to have held off on that and, you know, released it now, what have you written since then that you would be like, that's definitely going into the book? God, you know, there's a, there's a lot of probably reflecting about kids and stuff. I mean, all the COVID stuff certainly would be in there. Dad stuff. I mean, my folks are in their 80s now. So there's a lot of a lot of reflecting on that stuff going on. Um, and yeah, you know how I did it last time I, I did a, a it was a project with students. We kind of combed over years and years worth of stuff, including microfilm. One of the students was getting sick doing microfilm. So I had to take her off it because it literally will make you dizzy if you're looking at that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't you know, I'd have to look back because honestly, you forget, you know, I, I, I'm not super prolific, but but I've written a lot. And I know there'd be another section on ski columns and I've done a fair amount of the question and answer columns. Um, but it would probably be more of these heartfelt, you know, kind of life stuff than, than last time. The, the chapter one was a lot of that stuff. I have a lot more of that stuff now, I think, uh, in the last decade. So it would probably be a little more weighted with that. And, uh, you know, certainly the immigration series, um, your story, the story I did with you, yeah, yeah, yeah. it didn't win an award this year, much to our chagrin, but, uh, 
COVID kids. So that, that was certainly an epic highlight of my life. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever collaborated with a student on a story, shared a byline. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that would, that was pretty neat. That would make it. Yeah, that was that was incredible. I mean, when you had reached out to me and you were like, let's, you know, do something together. It was a moment where I was like, is this even actually happening? Because a professor who I've only known for two years because I transferred in my junior year, um, who I'm trying to impress with my work all this time, you know, and just asked me to share a byline with him. It was surreal. And the experience of being able to sit in with you while we interviewed, um, I forget their names, but it was uh, the two parents and mm -hmm. their, you know, children. That was that was an awesome experience as well. Good. I had something similar with Terry Dalton. After we were both professors, uh, I, I did a panel with him out in Denver on it was when the uh, the oil spill in the Gulf was going down and they had a thing like Hot Topics that was part of the um, the conference. They always did a Hot Topics panel. So I helped him uh, line up panelists and stuff. And so I'm sharing a table interviewing folks with him. So that was pretty cool. So, you know, but I had something similar that you got with me. Yeah, it's like I said, you know, it was a surreal experience. Definitely something I'll hold on to for the rest of my time doing journalistic things and journalistic endeavors. Um, but to transition into your more, your most recent book, COVID Chronicles, um, you know, college students navigate pandemic life. Um, give me the sales pitch for this book. Like, what is it for someone who is not from around here potentially and has no idea what this book would be about? To me, it's a snapshot in a really crappy time in the lives of our college age kids. Um, and it wasn't all doom and gloom. Uh, some was uplifting, some were thankful for family time that they wouldn't have had otherwise and stuff. But there was a lot of depression, anxiety, fear. Um, you think about the times that they were living in and all that they were missing. And a lot of people, that's what bugs me about some people. It's like, well, people lost a lot more than college students. It's like, yeah, but think about what all the things that the high school and college kids did lose. Graduation is not a small thing to not be able to partake. You know, you didn't get to. Yeah. Um, um, proms and stuff. Um, and just the, I, college is... You know, I, I tell everybody, and Castle don't probably hate that I say this, but I believe college is about 70% self-awareness, self-growth, and about 30% learning a, a craft, a trade, a, a skill, you know, a career. Um, and you don't get that looking at a screen. You know, that's not the socialization. These kids were struggling. And, uh, you know, one Asian Vermonter who she was adopted from Korea as a baby, um, and she wrote about, how everybody, you know, she felt blaming eyes on her when she'd walk in. She she had some of the most powerful entries, and she was a catalyst as to why I wanted to do this. Another student who, uh, uh, from Mechanicville, um, football player, big dude who struggled mightily with depression and anxiety, and he wrote some powerful, sad uh, post about what he was dealing with. But one of the most gratifying things to come from this idea to have them blog about their their COVID lives 
was he in class because we would always talk about him. I'd make them read other people's comment on him on a discussion board, but also talk about him in class. I'd reserve half an hour or something. We talk, and he spoke up saying how much it meant to him to be able to do this, how good it was for him because he was teetering on the edge of of not good. And he'll he'll you know the other day in a, in, in an interview a TV interview we did. Um, he, he alluded to that. He said he was questioning his life as it was. And uh, um, and another student who helped with the cover wrote uh, a, an apology letter, a blog post that I thought was extremely powerful, talking about um, all the people that she kind of dissed for the last handful of months. She just kind of shriveled up into her cocoon of her house and didn't talk to anybody because she was afraid. She was afraid of losing people. Um so there was just so much power in it. And uh, I, I didn't need a project. I didn't need something else to do. Um, but I thought about halfway through those blogs, I'm like, these, these should be read by more than just our eyes in that class. And uh, so I started the process and blasted it out. Self-publishing is, is not fun. It's a lot of work. Uh, it's maddening. I don't <laughs> like marketing. I'm not a marketing guy. I mean, I like talking about my stuff, but I don't like trying to sell it. And I don't know. So, you know, I hate that part. But um, but I, I feel strongly that if anybody reads this book, they're going to have a hell of a lot better idea of how across the board this impacted our college age kids. Uh, and this is anywhere. Yeah, happened to be, you, you, uh, you know, Castle University students in Vermont. But this is anywhere USA, as far as I'm concerned. Kids were dealing with this stuff, and uh, uh, and some, yeah. But some were funniest, you know, sarcastic. And I, it was just one student wrote that he he was not a fan of this assignment because he, he he was just struggling with things to write apparently. But he actually was much better than what he gave himself credit for. And one time he said that the assignment went from beating a dead horse to beating the skeleton of a dead horse, <laughs> which I gave him like a because I was like, yeah, that's good. I like that. So. <laughs> So you had alluded to um, one of your students being, you know, one of the driving forces of, you know, maybe like the switch being flipped of maybe this could be more than just blogging assignments. Um, was there a moment when you realized that this could be more than that or was it just the culmination of reading some of these blogs and her blog specifically that I, you I, were? I think it was about halfway through. And I actually, if you read the forward of the book, I mean, I literally emailed the class one day. I was sitting at my dad, I think it was a Saturday or a Sunday, uh, and I'm reading these blogs, and I felt compelled to write them, a, the, the class, an email. And it was thanking them, you know. And literally, I had tears in my eyes. I had to stop typing because it was emotional for me to, to thank them um, for what they were doing. They were inspiring me. They were making me feel a lot. You know, I was feeling all the weight that they were feeling. Um, and yeah, so I threw it out into an email and it was probably around that time that I was like, yeah, we, I gotta do something with this. And, uh, um, yeah, they were just, and it was, you know, it was just a very talented class too. Every, everybody could write and, that doesn't always happen, but this was just a special, special class, and they each brought something different to them. I tried to do that, too, with each chapter. Each kid has his own chapter, uh, and I did a little synopsis of what they brought to the table and a couple paragraphs up top. Um, people have said they liked that, um, and I tried to mix it up. I didn't have, like, six or seven really depressed and anxious and then six upbeat ones. I really tried to stagger back and forth. So there was some methodology going into it. Each kid has a photo too. And, um, 
yeah, I mean, returns have been good. I haven't sold a million yet or anything. Uh, um, certainly hoping to elevate that because I'm trying to create a scholarship. Well, I will create a scholarship with it. I had money from the last book in an account that was just sitting there and I use most of it to publish this and uh, whatever comes of it, uh, I'm creating a scholarship with it. And hopefully it can be more than just one. You know, hopefully it can go on for some some years, but that's up to the buying public. <laughs> I was going to mm-hmm. ask you about that because I had heard that you were planning on having the proceeds for this book be made into a scholarship. Um, yeah. Why is that something that is really important to you to kind of give back um it's their work it's the students work you know this wasn't yeah i put money out to do it but uh it felt a little weird uh you know i i i want to share that and if something positive can come out of this crazy time in our lives if if you know a scholarship can go on for a decade or something um that'd be really cool you know something positive out of this and i think there's a covid hangover right now and i don't know if people are really all about reading more about it now um and you know so maybe it's a decade down the road people will find this or 100 years when the next pandemic happens uh, i'll be a bestseller uh (laughs) probably won't be here to enjoy it but uh it'll be on a shelf at least so yeah well one thing that I did see recently, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, uh, Mark Mulholland of WNYT News Channel 13 fame, um, he recently did a story on the book, and he brought you and two of the students who contributed to right. the assignment and you know to the book uh, together for these interviews. And I saw um, a picture that you shared to Facebook, I believe, with the three of you guys, yeah. and just all you guys smile and ear to ear. And I know that everybody... Um, can kind of relate to a moment where it was like you're seeing people that you haven't seen in over a year, you mm-hmm. know, and obviously the situation is different for you three as opposed to like me meeting up with just like an old buddy of mine who I haven't seen in a year. But what was that experience like, uh, you know, being able to see these guys and be interviewed about this uh, wonderful project? It, that was the first thing I said to them. I said, it's so great to meet you guys in person because, you know, you said meet him again. I'd never met him. I mean, all I've ever seen him was in a little cubicle on my screen, you know. Um, so that felt so good. Um, and we were on Saratoga Lake. You know, it was a beautiful setting. And they they were great on, on air, too. They were just, you know, were very real. And like I say, Jacob was the football player. Both of them were football players. But Jacob struggled a lot. And he talked about and it didn't make the air um which which i i think he's gonna start doing some youtube stuff but uh he wants to be an advocate for guys to speak out about mental health he goes you know it shouldn't be stigmatized but it is you know guys don't cry that sort of thing um so he said it a bunch of times i kind of wish mark had used it but i mean mark had 20 minutes of interviews to put down into 90 seconds so uh, i thought he did a great job on the story and stuff but uh it was great to meet them and i think they felt the same i mean uh um yeah it was it was just cool so this book covid chronicles as well as blow by blow where could a potential buyer find these books they're on the the typical amazon online uh, barnes and noble online um yeah, COVID Chronicles locally in the Queensbury area is that Ace has a Ace Hardware actually has a really cool book area. It's in there. Uh, the new bookstore, Rock Hill Bookhouse, um, over by the, the Post Star, the Shirt Factory, has some. Um, in Castleton, they've got them at the Village Store, at the bookstore, Phoenix Books in Rutland, hopefully Phoenix Books in Burlington soon. I got to get up there with some books. But, uh, um, but yeah, online is probably the easiest. Or <clears throat> find me 
I'll, if you're local, I'll bring you one. Uh, I'd be happy to do that. Um, yeah, obviously, I, the ones I buy and sell, uh, there's a little bit more of a profit margin than Amazon. Surprisingly, Amazon takes quite a bit of that. Uh, you wouldn't guess. No, you wouldn't know that, right? <laughs> Uh, no, there's not a lot of margin on these things, but um, um, yeah, like I said, it's all going toward that scholarship. So I'm trying to get, trying to get back to where it was and beyond. Um, yeah. Well, Dave. Uh Thank you so much for sharing about the books, uh, sharing so much about your experiences with journalism. Um, before I let you go, you know, I always do this one last segment, you know, titled Gut Reaction, where I uh, ask you five questions and I get your gut reaction to them and we can have a discussion about them if you would like. You ready? Sure, yeah. All right, sweet. So first one has to do with your NBA team, the uh, Philadelphia 70, <laughs> 76ers. So in this scenario, you are the general manager of the Phoenix, or yeah, uh, the Sixers, not the Phoenix Suns. Unfortunately, they're in the finals. The yeah, Sixers aren't. I like them. Um, the Portland Trailblazers call you up. They ring up Dave Blow and they offer you a package involving C.J. McCollum and potentially other, you know, pieces for Ben Simmons and you know potentially other pieces and picks. But that's the main, uh, you know, crux of the deal. Do you accept the deal? And if not, what do you do with Ben Simmons at this point? I don't know CJ McCollum that much. I, I literally watch the Sixers. Like I'm like a red, same with the Red Sox. I watch basically every Red Sox game, and I watch a lot of the Sixers games. So I don't know him that well. I assume what is he a, a guard? He's the shooting guard to Damian Lillard's point guard okay. over there in Portland. I know Damian so. Lillard. Okay. I mean the whole Ben Simmons thing it, it, it bums me out because I think the guy's a specimen. I mean he handles the ball like a little guy, and he's six ten. Uh, um, but he, he's in, he needs a, a therapist or something because you gotta be able to hit a free throw, um, at least at 65% or something. Right. Um, and I don't know if, I, I don't know if he can fix it. I don't, I don't know. And he certainly can't shoot threes and stuff. So, and if you're afraid to slash to the hoop and dunk like that, I mean, that's how he scored all his points basically was going to the hoop. And if he's afraid to do that because he doesn't want to get fouled because he doesn't want to go to the foul line, I'm just thinking he's broken. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd in a way, I'd love to see him stay because I do love the guy. And he's been a great pro. I mean, he's a really good player. But he's losing his dimensions now. He's down even more. So, yeah, I don't know enough about the Trailblazers uh, guy to, to – uh, speak intelligently on that, but I almost think Ben Simmons' days are probably numbered in Philadelphia. I don't think guys like Embiid want him back. Uh, some of the rumblings after the the loss were yeah. kind of along those lines. Not great. They yeah. weren't, you know, they weren't going out on a huge limb and saying, "Nope, we want Ben's our guy." Nobody said that. So yeah. that's that's my thing, and I've always said, and you know, my friends have laughed at me now especially after years of me trying to make this proclamation that if he could just develop a jump shot of any kind he's lebron james not to that level not that dominant but he's that big he has those handles maybe even slightly better handles he's a much better defender yep and he would be an mvp caliber candidate every yeah. year not just a defensive player of the year guy if he could just shoot the ball and he just like won't do it 
I just don't understand. Uh, he just has zero confidence right now, too. Yeah. And that's awful. You've played sports. I've played sports. When you are, when your head's not right, that's really tough. And boy, his head is way bad right now. It's, yeah. He's just not in a good spot. So if I was that dude, I'd be shooting 2,000 foul shots every day uh, and hope to make more than 35%. But yeah. yeah. Back in my old uh, basketball playing days of high school, um, I had to change my shot multiple times because my shot I was more of a drive to the lane kind of guy but being as short as I was it wasn't always incredibly easy right. especially as you grew up in high school so having to redevelop a jump shot is no easy feat so no. but free throws no yeah, I know you gotta be able to hit your free throws I was I was like I wonder to myself like what does he do in the gym that like he go like what do you do when you go to the gym you pick up the ball and you shoot like like I mean, I Go Wilt Chamberlain, go underhand, do whatever, but do something different. Because, uh, yeah, not good. Question number two for the gut reaction segment here. I know that you've seen The Dead live mm-hmm. before. Um, was that before, um, uh, you know, Jerry had passed on, or was that? Yep. Yeah, dude, I saw him quite a few times. Um, yeah, before he died. And I've seen him, you know, quite a few times afterward, too. Obviously not the same. I feel bad for everybody that didn't ever get to see him. Not that he was good every time, either, because he was pretty messed up uh, at various points <laughs> yeah. in his life. But when he was on, uh, he, he's one of my favorite guitar players. I love guitar music. I love uh, guys like David Gilmore and Slash. And, you know, I'm the, the, the guy, not necessarily the fastest guitar player in the world. You know, I don't necessarily need that. I like guitars that sing to you, that are another voice in the band, in my opinion. And uh, his was that. And he had the ability to just captivate 70,000 people just with those strings. And it was pretty magical when it when it, when it it happened. Sad when, when, when he was forgetting words and all that stuff. Yeah. It wasn't as fun. But. Um, so you're obviously a fan of the Grateful Dead. Are you a fan of Fish at all? Or is it? Eh, I've seen Fish once. Um, and, and I, you know, I like, their guitars uh, different songs i mean yeah, yeah i like fish don't love fish so and this will probably be an easy question for you then um you only get to listen to one of these bands for the rest of your days so yeah. you got grateful dead Easy. and you got fish yeah that's not a question yeah, yeah i <laughs> figured it wouldn't be sure. but um so how many how many times did you get to see the dead mm, 30 something probably yeah yeah that's i'm going to see and that's the real dead yeah uh, yeah yeah since then maybe another eight ten times something like that i'm going to see them I forget the date. I think it's like That's mid back. to late August. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to. Uh, I guess I'll see you there. It'll be a fun time. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, question three. You only get to keep one of these, Dave. And I know that you are um, you're a big fan of one of these. I know for sure. Um, but you only get to keep one. Whiskey or Coors Light? Oh, is it? Do I have a whole bottle of whiskey in one can of Coors Light? What would you say the equivalent to a thing of whiskey? So a 12-pack or something in a... Uh, oh, gosh. I don't know. If it was hot on an island or something, I'd probably say Coors Light. If it was cold uh, in the Arctic or something, maybe maybe the bottle of whiskey. But yeah, the whiskey warms yeah. warms you up. You know? Yeah. But I'm, I like both. Yeah. Um, I will say I'm more of a uh, heavy beer type of guy, you know, the IPA, the, the craft beers. I've been drinking IPAs a lot more lately. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Fiddlehead. Um, it's always always a good choice. Yep. 
so yeah, I was surprised that I my tastes have actually changed a little bit because I used to find it just uh, yeah grapefruity and so. But I'm actually I kind of kind of like them now. So a lot of times with dinner, if I take my family out to dinner or something, I might have a a bourbon or a whiskey or something and a and a fiddlehead, uh, and that's it. <laughs> Gotta gotta yeah. celebrate responsibly. Exactly. That's all we do here on the What's Up J podcast. Um, safety right. first. Yes, yeah, safety first. Now switching into your Red Sox. Um, this is one of those scenario questions I was talking about earlier. So the Boston Red Sox either win the 1986 World Series against the Mets. You know, famed Bill Buckner. Mm-hmm. You know, behind the bag. Remember it well. Um, or the Red Sox go on that magical run in 04 and win that World Series against the Cardinals, which they beat the Yankees in that championship series the round prior after they were down, I believe, 3-1. to one. Mm-hmm. Um, So you only get one of those that happens. Which one? Part of me wants to say 86 because it was sooner, and I had to wait a lot longer to get that championship in mm-hmm. my lifetime. But, man, coming back to beat the Yankees when you're down, we were down 3-0, right? And it came back so, to, yeah. to win the whole deal. That's unheard of. Uh and Big Poppy was just a monster. And, you know, the World Series was anticlimactic after that series. It was like, we I knew we were going to win the World Series after that. Uh, yeah. That was, because um, I suffered through Bucky Dent, you know, in 78. I remember all that stuff. 75, when they lost to the Reds and should have won. I mean, that team crushed me for <laughs> decades. And I never, I honestly didn't think I was going to live long enough to see him win the World Series. I really didn't. How many people have died before me that didn't get to see it, you know? Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think I'm going to go with 04 uh, just because that was insane. Magical run, yeah. Johnny Damon giving him shots of bur- or whiskey or whatever before one of the games, and then they <laughs> go on a tear. Yeah. That's so the lore goes. I don't know if that's true or not. but uh, <laughs> The lore of the Red Sox 04 run. Um, what do you give your Red Sox this year, uh, odds-wise, to win the whole thing? I know they're leading the East right now. Yeah, um, I'm kind of baffled by this year, in all honesty, and I think it shows you the power of Alex Cora. Like him or not, yeah, he's a cheater and stuff, but uh, um, what a great manager. And uh, they just seem to gel. They remind me a lot of the 2018 team that won that shouldn't have won it either. Uh, they, you know, If you look around compared to a lot of teams – there's a lot of like Michael Chavis playing second base or something, or Danny Santana or Bobby Dahlbeck playing first. Uh, yeah, our left side's great, um, but like Kike Hernandez in center field. I mean, he's kind of a journeyman. He's not. He's not a stud. He wasn't. Uh, Hunter of, Renfro and yeah, right yeah. is a castaway who's having a hell of a year. Um, I love Verdugo. I think Verdugo's great, but the pitching's been good and. Do I think they're a World Series team? I don't really. I really don't. I think that I've said, told everybody that I think they're playing above their heads a little bit. Mm. But I love the chemistry. And they're picking each other. You know how they do that stupid cart thing where they shove them in a laundry car. Yeah. After they hit a home run, they push them down the dugout and everybody high fives them. So I like stuff like that. I mean, they, they've got – I played softball and sports for a lot of years. And I always played with guys who cared a lot, who were a little bit too – you know, we were a little bit crazy, you know, as far as our intensity. Mm-hmm. I like seeing that, you know, having fun, but being pretty intense too. And, and this team seems to have that. So I love the gel of it. Do I think they're the World Series champs? I don't. I'd, actually, I'd love it, but. But that's kind know. of what happened in 18, as you just totally. said. You didn't think totally. they were going to win that. So it could, could it happen? Could lightning strike twice? Sure, maybe. Before I get into my last question, I need your take on the sticky stuff debate. Um, what's your reaction to the league cracking down on that? <sighs> 
you know, it's going to be something else. You know, they're, they're going to find a way to, to, to still have sticky stuff, I'm sure. And should they need it? No. You know, I don't I don't like cheating of any sort, but, man, that's always going on in baseball, sign stealing, guys on second, relaying. You know, that's always something. Uh, to me, it's almost, you know, the fact that they're checking and stuff is interesting. It's almost like, and some that are all getting all flabbergasted about it. It's almost like mask wearing, you know, just do it. It's, it's the thing now. Just suck it up and do it. And, and if you don't have anything on your glove, <laughs> yeah, why exactly. worry, you know? Yeah, um, but, I've heard stories from uh Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling because I watched the Met games and they uh, were telling stories about I forgot the pitcher's name but he would have like a razor blade and like scuff the oh, ball yeah. Phil Necro used to uh, he would and yeah knuckleballers they would they would do stuff like that yeah incredible stuff um, the last question here on the gut reaction segment before I let you go um, if you had to pick one profession for your entire life either reporting or doing the professor thing as you are now currently doing which would you choose? Wow, that's tough. Yeah, I wanted to end on a, a thinker. Yeah, I'm I'm really perplexed with that one because both have provided different things for me. You know, I think the long-lasting relationships with students and stuff is so valuable, and I really because you become you guys become like surrogate kids to me. Whether you know, not everybody does. The ones who invest with me, I invest a lot in. Um, um, but I think I would be devoid if I never wrote for a newspaper. I think part of me. I, the thing is, I've gotten to do that the whole time. So I've done that for 30 plus years. I've mm -hmm. only taught for 15, right. uh, 16. Um, so I guess I would go with, you know, the journalist stuff. But man, it's tough. And I hate to I hate to even give an answer there because I don't want it to diminish the value that I've gotten out of being a professor. And uh, uh, because it's been super gratifying. And I just hope that I have. Uh, you know, I question myself a lot uh, as a professor because, again, I don't feel like everybody else. I, I'm probably not as smart as all the uh, the PhDs and stuff or, uh, you know, sometimes I feel inadequate a little bit and, and I question whether I'm doing enough. Um, but I just hope I am. I hope, you know, you talked about the energy and so I hope I hope they always see that, that I'm that I'm passionate, that I love this stuff and that if they need help. That I'm always there to help. I, I must say that a million times. If you need help, make sure to reach out. If you need help, reach out. I don't ever want any student to ever say that that he didn't give me time. You know, he, he the guy didn't give me the time of day and didn't return my emails, that sort of thing. That 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 bugs me. And I don't think anybody could ever say that. So I guess, yeah. Well, Dave, I will say that you definitely did always bring that energy you always inspired me to continue doing this type of stuff and it's yeah. been an honor to have you on the what's up jay podcast uh oh, it's been fun it's been great my first podcast so yeah well hopefully uh hopefully we can you know do this again um real quick um if you have anything to plug you know if you want to say again where you can get the book where to follow where you're writing your columns and stuff if you want to put that in yeah i mean just uh, again amazon barnes and noble there's a couple of covid chronicles out there so make sure you uh do uh college students navigate pandemic life or put my name in and it should pop up um and you know it's yeah the post star you know the rutland herald occasionally have stuff in too and um but yeah the post star is where most of my stuff comes out and still enjoy the forum i'm really glad that they still have my voice uh, and willing to have my voice after 30 30 almost two years so 
love the forum well dave i look forward to reading more from you i look forward to hearing more from you hopefully we can do this again and uh you know thanks for taking the hour and change here to talk to me i really do appreciate it yeah no this has been great i appreciate you asking me to do it 